Hey. Hey, you. Yeah, don't look behind you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated, and they try to sneak huge fees in at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I'm going up to Dallas next month, meaning July, to try to check out some Rangers games. And you'd better believe I'm going to use SeatGeek. I used it for my trip in Detroit I told you guys about. Um, I've been recommending it to people left and right all across the country, to be honest. A couple friends in different spots been recommending it. My buddy is in New York, and he's going up to visit his family a little bit for the summer. And he and his dad are already mapping out where they, what they're going to go see uh, in terms of Mets games with SeatGeek. Honestly, it's the only place I use now. I used to use other places, I'll freely admit. The one that frequently gets mentioned here, StubHub. Stopped using it. It's not It's not necessary at this point because uh, SeatGeek's taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Now, I remember when MLB.com first got this for their stadiums, and it was awesome. But I would, you know, be on the StubHub app or something, and then I'd have I buy the ticket or look at a section, then I go to the MLB site and have to kind of, you know, use their stadium view. Now it's all it's all in one with SeatGeek, and the grading is just color coding. So if you know a stoplight, green means go, red means halt. So if you see a red one in the section you want, maybe relax and try to find a green one because those are going to be the better price tickets uh, for their value. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you at the end with huge fees. Now, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to Settings, and click Add Promo Code. Enter the promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's really easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. It is Sunday, June 12th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Uh, well, it's not a good weekend for my uh, former hometown, uh, and it's really been tough to ignore um, most of the weekend. Today's, you know, today's uh, what we learned when we woke up this morning was really crappy. It was the second major, you know, awful incident to come out of yeah. Orlando, like uh, just disaster. That girl from the voice. PG on it. It, it. Here's the thing: the girl from the voice is somebody I saw perform back in March when she was here. She was on the tour that Eric Hutchinson was on. Yeah. So I remember me talking about that concert. She was one of the. It was it was her. It was uh, Hutch, and then it was Rachel Platten was the other per, uh, person in that trio. And they said that the incident. Yeah, they said the incident happened at the merchandise table, and that her brother tackled the shooter, so he didn't do any more damage. Yeah. Uh, I was right there at the merchandise table in March because hers was next to Hutch's, and that's where I was talking. Um, 
so it sucks to you know because she was telling me amazing. I never saw the YouTube videos. I never even heard. No, of her. she was yeah. So uh, voice so might, might be where people know her, but and I didn't until I read the stuff. But then she was a big YouTube star, three million people. I mean, you don't you don't fake your way to three million follows or whatever. So I mean, her talent aside, it's just unbelievable. Apparently, this guy drove down there. I mean, to to could do this, and then the disaster this morning in the nightclub, like. And another one they drove. I mean, this guy is from Port St. Lucie, which is about two hours southeast of Orlando. Uh, and, you know, there if, if, if his target was to go after a gay club, there are multiples in between here and there. Yeah. Uh, but he decided that's this is the one part about this story that I still can't understand is like if, if that was your target, you know, you, you've got other targets between here. That, why that particular place? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have friends from Orlando that would have been at that place everybody checked in they're good uh but you know people that my, my wife and i are really good friends with that was one of their favorite places to go uh yeah, you, you know somebody somebody my kids consider an uncle uh is somebody that frequented there and uh thankfully he is uh, still here to talk about it today and wasn't there last night but that was really tough to wake up and honestly it's been tough to focus on other stuff today because of it yeah i, I honestly instantly thought of you when i when i heard about the orlando incident this morning and then pieced it together with the uh, and again i know they're not related but you add on the fact that they just had a, a devastating tragedy two days prior. And there's, there was also one Thursday. There was something about uh, a hostage, like a kidnapping on oh Thursday. Uh, one of basically a little brother of mine. He is a little brother of one of my best friends. And he is an MO1 dispatcher in Orlando. And he, like on Facebook today, he's like, Thursday night we had this. Friday night we had uh, Christina. Last night we have this. I'm hoping nothing happens today. But he works in 911 dispatch. And he said it's just been an exhausting, exhausting weekend. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Well, hopefully we can kind of give you a few moments to, you know, not, not, not say put that aside, but maybe – have a little bit more uh, better feelings here as we talk a little bit of baseball. Sorry, we started on a down note there, but I knew it was going to uh, impact you more than it might most because of how long you live down there. Um, so, you know, let's try to shift gears awkwardly, uh, perhaps a bit to, to baseball and talk about our favorite pastime because it, it, it it's stuff like baseball that keeps us sane in this kind of world because it really is insane. Like it, it absolutely is. And this, these incidences, characterize that um you know all too well unfortunately but instead I, i'd rather hear your thoughts on on michael saunders and and maybe that'll cheer you up if you have on any fantasy teams because michael saunders has been running really good this year although jason i'm afraid that you and i fall in the same boat because i believe we were both fans last year sprinkler head ruined his season and I, I didn't jump back on board i don't know if you snapped him up anywhere but for me i just kind he kind of fell by the uh, wayside because I said, you know what, Michael Saunders can't stay healthy. I, I, you know, what am I looking for? And so I passed. And he's been great this year. Big weekend uh, against Baltimore. Nice hitting 302 with a 938 OPS. That's huge. 11 bombs, 23 ribs. Not doing that base running that he used to do in the past. He, Michael Saunders has been a sneaky little stolen base guy. A couple double digit seasons. 0 for 2 this year. But I'll take that power output any day. Au contraire, mon frere. I went right back into the Michael yes, Saunders good, uh, in, good. in Tout Wars and paid $6 for him. Worth it, I should say. Six. Worth it, very much so. And here's the, and, and this, we talked about this throughout the offseason. You know, last year's, I, I forget the episode, but we talked about being guilty of if a guy burns you 
just yes. running away from him. Absolutely. And this was a guy that I wasn't afraid of because I said he was going to hit high in the lineup. Um, the skills were there. I, I my, my worry was he was going to get benched for against lefties, and I was fine with that. So if he only gets four seventy five. I'm paying six dollars, and I you know my when I was looking, I'm thinking two seventy fifteen ten. Maybe we get to. He hasn't stolen a base because you know he's not on first that often. He's on exactly. he's either circling the bases or hitting doubles. Uh, you know, so that's that's where he's at. But right now, um, you said he hit his eleventh over today or his twelfth. Uh, he had his 11th today. Okay, so the stats on 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 road are already updated. So 11 homers um, with a 377 OBP, 561 slug, just, and that's what we're using. So he's not running, but there. this is great. I mean, when we look at who he's in front of, he already has uh, 55 runs scored, and compare that to Lorenzo Cain, who's at no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, 31. I'm looking at games there. So 31, he's got more runs scored than Lorenzo Cain, the guy I pay 27 dollars for. So my six dollar outfielder is outproducing my 27 um, AL MVP pick. Well, and <laughs> the, the way that goes, but there, yeah, I was right back in on this guy. The unfortunate part there with uh, with the Cain piece is that it's hardly going to get better in terms of his runs scored because of that offense surrounding him. It yep. seems to lose a guy every day. Uh, yeah, well, so that and Kendris Morales is suddenly gone in the Alan Craig world of I'm not going to hit with runners in scoring position. Yeah, well, I mean, I know, again, he wasn't going to keep it up at the same pace that he did last year. Morales wasn't, but like he went, com- he's gone completely, completely the opposite way. By the way, quick correction. Saunders hit his 11th yesterday. He was three for four today. No bomb, though. Uh, okay. But he, he's just been raking. I'm glad you went back because I tried to be more concerned about doing that as well. I couldn't go back to everybody. I did have some new guys emerge, but there were there were certain spots where I said, you know what? I'm doubling down. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. So we did prepare to do that. Charlotte disagrees. Hi, Charlotte. She never barks. And all of a sudden, she's like, hey, what's going on? Charlotte, what's going on, man? Uh, do- doors locked. So if someone's coming to kill us, they'll have to bust through. Um, but yeah, I went back to the well with some guys. I'm glad you did with, with Saunders. I missed out, but that's all right. One guy that I was interested in, and I just didn't end up with him anyway. You know you have those guys, too, that they're definitely on your list, and then you come out of the draft, and and they were crossed off at a time when you were just maybe looking elsewhere. It was Steve Pierce, and that's a, that's a guy uh, for your favorite team, so you should be a little bit more familiar with him this year, although he's been terrorizing your team a bit over the last couple of years in Baltimore. Didn't really do anything anymore, but he's been in the AL for a while. So I'm sure you've seen a lot of Steve Pierce. Were you excited when the Rays got him? Because he's been absolutely incredible this year, a lot like that Baltimore breakout that we saw a couple of years back. Yeah, I was excited when they got him because that means they won't be playing against him any longer. Exactly. Uh, and I was also excited when I got him for $2 in the same AL Talt Wars draft uh, because he qualified as second base. If people don't recall, in Talt Wars, it's a 15-game eligibility from the previous season, and Pierce had played 18 at second base. And he was a guy that I was just stashing aside all auction, waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm like hoping nobody else. And then I, I had, had nobody could go up higher than me. When I said I threw him out of $2, because I wanted to avoid people, the dollar uh, folks saying too. Mm-hmm. And I got him, and he's been, he's been a godson. I can play him at multiple positions, uh, eight homers, 23, uh, 20, 20 runs scored, 23 driven in in an OBP league. His 420 OBP is, is a monster for me. It is leading my team um, by quite a bit. <laughs> but he's having a monster, uh, a monster uh, season for them. And he's being in those numbers as good as they are. He's not. He's still not doing anything against righties, but that's how good he's been against lefties. Against righties, he's he's probably league average. Where in the past he's been below league average. Yeah. I want to say 
He's hitting like 240 against righties, but he's just been killing lefties. He's savage and, uh, lefties, Steve yeah, Pearson. Just killing them. So that, that's going to hold down his upside if you, fi- you figure what's, what's left of him. But he gives quality at bats. He's still going to be a fly ball heavy guy. And I think one thing over the last, one of the things that may come into play, and I believe I mo- mentioned this a few weeks ago with uh, Carlos Gonzalez, maybe it was on Twitter, where I was saying his numbers were suffering because the Rockies were playing so many road games and now they're at home and hey, he's been doing better. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the opposite could happen here for Pearson. Pierce, even though for his career he's mashed the Rays at Tropicana Field, um, I think he's much better on the road this year. Steve Pierce. Well, they have, they're in the mid, they're, they're in the middle of twenty of twenty-seven games being at home, and I think they're only three into that. So that means what seventeen of their next twenty-four are going to be at Tropicana Field, okay. and the three on the road or at Yankee Stadium at Fenway Park. That's really good to know, by the way. That uh, you know, if you have Rays hitters that you maybe kind of slot in and out, and they don't hit as well at the Trop. You could go into a lull here. That's some second, second, third level analysis that I like. Steve Pierce, man, the, the thing was that second base eligibility that you know just kind of kept him enticing, and it was nice that you're able to scoop him up. By the way, just to preview a little bit, we're going to talk about a few more players, and then we're going to dive into a trade you made in that very league. So that your your tout league has become a little bit of a central focus here because you're playing well. And you got some nice big pieces, but you needed to make a move. So it's going to be interesting to talk about the trade that you. Uh... Before before we run on, and not to make this the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays episode again, but there's some pretty major news coming out of Tampa Bay today. Is is Blake Snell coming up? Bilake Snell is coming Bilake. up. Bilake Snell is coming up. He will pitch on Thursday against the Seattle Mariners, and yours truly will be at that game because I will be on vacation in Florida, and I already had tickets in my hand. That's awesome. So I am super stoked to see Balake Snell. They are uh, not taking my advice, which is probably a good thing because my advice was was to put Matt Moore in the bullpen. Uh, Matt Moore had arguably his best game uh, in a long-ass time today against the Astros, struck out 10 in seven innings, um, got 21 swings and misses, 15 off his fastball. And he is the subject. I actually, the, the way it worked out at Rotowires, I had written about Matt Moore two starts ago, and then the story got lost in the hopper. And so he had a bad start against Arizona. Then he just shoved it today. So now I get to resubmit it, edit it, and include the, okay, he was doing so bad, but why was he so good today? Why was uh, he so and good today? The, so, because I tell you what, Jason, damn, Bugs Bunny hasn't fooled Elmer Fudd as much as Matt Moore has fooled me. And I'm terrified. But what did you see today? He decimated the well, Astros. Well, one it was the Astros. One it was the Astros, and the Astros are a swing and miss team. They're they're like the Rays. They're like the Rays. They make they swing. They're attacking. They're in attack mode a lot. Plus, it didn't hurt that Carlos Correa didn't play any game in the series. Uh, so that's a little bit. But he was attacking with the fastball, moving it up, and changing levels. Part of his issue in the since May and even into the start against Arizona, too much stuff right around the same area. Fastball in the middle to the sides. Uh, change up wasn't getting out of the zone and curveball wasn't getting out of the zone. Now today he was burying the curveball, getting swings and misses of check swings down there, um, through enough changeups to keep people honest with the fastball moving it around the strike zone instead of just leaving it over the middle of the plate. That was it. Uh, and when you go back and, uh, and I put a, a, a heat map on, not a heat map, but a pitch plot on Twitter a short while ago so people can see what I'm talking about. But you can see the differences in the location. 
And and for me, that's what it's all about with him. He has to be able to, yeah, you can throw a 95. And, and when I had submitted my original piece, the thing was, I want him in the bullpen because he could throw a little bit harder and get away with the location uh, yeah. mistakes. You know, if, if you miss throwing 96, it's a little different than missing throwing 92, 93. Exactly. Um, and so, but he did good and they skipped Smiley's start and uh, his last start. So Smiley, this is the plan. They're moving Matt Andrees to the bullpen, which is, I mean, Andrees is a He's five. Just, yes, uh, they're anyway. moving him. And getting some length. The real issue there is they need to give uh, they need to give Erasmo Ramirez some help. He can't keep going out there pitching two That's innings. That's what I was going to say. Uh, they, have, they have worked him like a rented mule, and and he needed help. And, and this was half the solution was to get Snell up and put Andrees to the bullpen. I wish they'd call up Jamie Schultz, who's in the Durham rotation, but has got a lot of swing and miss himself, and put him in that bullpen. Um, so there's more guys to trust right now. That a bullpen is is. Um, <clears throat> Xavier Cedeno for a lefty. It is uh, Erasmo Ramirez, and it's Alex Colomay. He doesn't trust the other five guys in the pen. So now he's putting Andres in there, who can give him some more length. But they need another swing and miss guy right now. They don't have that. So, um, but pretty stoked that I get to see Balake Snell be, make his second major league start on that's Thursday. That's gonna be sweet. Um, obviously, he's probably already owned in every league. I doubt many people got rid of him, even in shallower leagues, because he's so good. But if Blake Snell's out there, or Balake Snell, excuse me. Definitely jump out on and, and go ahead and get him. Um, Matt Moore, <laughs> do what you want, guys. I'm, I'm done. I'm done giving advice on Matt Moore. I'll do, I'll do my own thing over here. I don't want to lead you guys into the fire pit any freaking more. Now, this happens to be, so far, a little bit AL East themed, which is not by design, but it also happens to be the division that you watch the most because your favorite team is there. So it, if we're going to default somewhere, it's, it's, not, it's not a bad spot. I just had to bring him back up and give Sander Bogart some love because he's out of his mind. He's, he's been having a great season. They lost in walk-off fashion today, but he had another. He had a big weekend. The dude just keeps dominating. Um, he only went two for five today. Nothing, nothing overly special. But the rest of the weekend was strong. He's now up to about uh, because it's not going to have today's stats. Nine thirty-four OPS, eight homers, eight stolen bases. How high is, is Xander Bogarts ascending the, the overall ranks? Let's say we did a, a mock right now of like four or five rounds for, for, from now. Let's say we start with, let's say we did a weird league. We said from now through the end of 2017, so a year plus. I know that'd be a weird situation, but where would you, where would you take Xander Bogarts if you had that kind of time period? I feel like a top 45 player, but I do want to jump back a, a little bit. A couple of weeks ago when we talked about the shortstop ranking, you recall the reason we ranked I had some the, struggles the, with that. Guys. Well, yeah, I mean, one of, one of the guys, I remember a guy on Twitter said, hey, you know, why are you trashing Bogarts? And my, my point was him and his run production. So his ability to drive in runs and score runs is going to be influenced by the talent around him. I don't have any fault with Xander Bogarts as a player. Can he keep hitting at this level all season? That's tough for anyone to do. Sure. But the runs, the run, the RBI, that accounts for the rest of the lineup. And my point there was that Boston as a team was insanely hot all at the same mm -hmm. time. And you don't see a lot of, and then go back you know, go back and look at the Yankees about three or four weeks ago when that entire team was ice cold and couldn't score anything up, up and down the lineup. But now look where they're at. They're back over 500 yeah, and, and doing those kind of things. So the pieces of that weekend. offense are getting hotter. 
Yeah, and until you know, until Michael Fulmer shoved right. it to him, uh, which was nice. Michael Fulmer, by the way, has not allowed a run since that little run against since, the when we talked about him say, against the then, Rangers. And um, yeah. I kind of like. Oh my God! Look at this, and he still hasn't given if up. If we run. can go to the. Um... Is it the Japanese model or, or is it all of Asia where they do the, the weekly starting and, and just make sure that Michael Fulmer starts every Sunday because it's just I love that when he winds up on a Sunday, that's just some easy watching. And it happened to be on the uh, MLB network today, so I didn't have to worry about using it on the iPad. I got to watch big screen. It was oh, man, it was great. The, the dude is really dang good. Uh, Michael Fulmer yep. is. Well- if we put Bogarts right now, I'm using like the Rotowire in-season dollar okay. value calculation. Okay. He's only he's tied with Altuve for second most valuable player, and only Kershaw is ahead of either. My one. goodness! So I feel like you got to go higher than forty-five. Probably. Well, I'm going to because wasn't he a top forty-five player by the end of draft season anyway? Yeah, I'm probably still selling him short here, but th- so this will also back up my thing though. Mookie Betts is behind him at forty. David Ortiz is at thirty-six. I mean, so these oh, are guys. This is what I was talking. Jackie Bradley, Bradley at twenty-six. Yep. So we got four or five guys in the same team, all with above twenty-five dollar value in a twelve-team mixed league. That's kind of that's where I was kind. Of, that's where I'm getting at with this is you have a lot of guys producing at an elite level in that lineup. How can they all maintain it once once they all start to once they taper off? Then where who's driving Bogarts in, and uh, who is he Miami. driving in? Those kinds of things. But, yes, yeah, top 45 is selling them short. So if I can just rewind Ooh, it a little bit. Sound. I uh, like it. Yeah. Uh, top 25. Okay. I'll put them okay. there. But it's, you know, I still want in the first two rounds, you need to have an elite. I want an elite counting category skill. And batting average is not that for me. I want somebody that I can pencil in for 20 plus homers. I can pencil in for 20 plus steals there. Something like that. That's not okay. him. That's fair. Um, I'm still higher on him, I think, because I could, I, I think we're going to, you know, I already thought we were going to see a, a, a power outburst this year and it's not even like an overwhelming outburst. He's got a 171 ISO. That's not, you know, that's not freaking out here, but eight homers already projections have him for another 10 or so. That's around where I thought I thought he'd be a, a 20 homer hitter, but as Sandra Bogarts continues to mature and grow, I really can see him becoming that guy that you want that does either the 25 stolen bases or the 25 homers and i think it's going to be the latter um really improved his walk rate this year i think that that's still in his back pocket to continue to improve i just think that we are seeing a star level player so i'm probably going to have him in the top 12 to 15 right now if we were doing a format like that where it isn't just the rest of this year as he'll you know probably taper off as you mentioned but if it was a the rest of this year plus another full one i can get him up pretty high as I look at this, as I look at this leaderboard, one more um, opportunity opportunity to bash myself. I see Will Myers there, just below Chris Bryant, a guy that I really, really spent a lot of time trashing in the offseason, who is hitting 292 with 13 homers and eight stolen bases of 40 runs and 37 runs. One of our rare disagreements. Yeah. I, my bad, folks. I'm sorry. I didn't realize he was going to pick this year to motivate himself. Well, here's the thing, though. He just passed his games played threshold from last year. And I think that that's the bigger issue than um, than than the performance at this point. Because even last year, you look, put up a 116 OPS plus, was probably influenced by by playing hurt a little bit. I just I just think that uh, that Will Myers is a pretty darn good player. I kind of came around on his talent, and and now I'm very very excited to have a, a couple good handful of shares of Will Myers. 
Well, between he and Melvin Upton Jr., what's in the water in San right. Diego that's allowing guys to bounce back? Uh, you know, perceived labeled malcontents, maybe Both, earned, maybe yeah. not earned, going to San Diego and voila. Uh, with Matt Kemp, too. Like, they collected them. Is that a market inefficiency? Perceived malcontents? Apparently. They got a whole outfield of them. I mean, <laughs> Melvin Upton just has, uh, I, I believe for, for men, they call it resting uh, dick face, R- RDF, instead of resting bitch face. <laughs> um, neither is particularly nice, but some people do have it, like where they just, they're, they're solemn, they're like base look makes them look mad. I had an uncle who had major RDF. I thought he was mad throughout his life. And so whenever he said a positive thing, I was like, oh, yeah, he's not, he's not mad. Um, just because that that was that was how he looked. He wasn't mad all the time. Uh, He's probably mad sometimes, but not at me. I'm awesome. I'm a sw- I'm a dope nephew. But Melvin Upton, Matt Kemp. Well, see, Will Myers just has resting high face. He always looks stoned out of his mind. <laughs> Kemp and and Upton got a little bit of the of the R RDF where they where they both look look like they uh, they're they're not pleased with you, but. I don't know, man. Maybe it's working. Maybe they got a little team vibe going. Maybe they're rallying around the um, the uh, the owner hating them, kind of a major league thing, you know, where uh, the, they the, they basically made it be versus the owner, how much they hated her or whatever. The owner comes out, smashes James Shields, talks trash on him. Maybe they're like, you know what, f this guy, and and, and they're. They're staying motivated, playing well. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know any of it. Maybe they're just good players and they're playing well. But I want to talk some pitchers, Jason. I've got a couple here to talk about, one that you probably saw during the weekend. But I want to start with Matt Shoemaker, who's been a topic of discussion on this show a couple times recently, but both were with Eno. And I just want to know if you've seen anything in the midst of his hot run. He had another big start this weekend. Dude's been out of his mind. Um, and to tell you how bad Matt Shoemaker started is that he's had he's had such a good run lately of like five or six starts, but he still has a 476 ERA because through his first six starts of the season, he was at 912. And that's tough. That's tough. Over his last five, uh, six, excuse me, he's at a 228. Uh, Matt Shoemaker is with 53 strikeouts and four in 43 innings with only three homers allowed, which is the major key, by the way. He had six homers allowed in those first six starts. So it's a tale of, of two halves here insofar as you can split um, a, a 12, 12 start sample. But are you seeing anything out of, out of Shoemaker that interests you? Would you have bought in uh, when you could? And would you still buy in maybe like a uh, a trade scenario? Because he's not available really in any leagues, I don't think. Of course he's not available. He's only one and two in this run. I mean, come on. How good of a pitcher That's can true. he be His if he's only won sucks. one game? I mean, he's <clears throat> when we look at this number of strikeouts, when he finally decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to throw my best pitch as much as I possibly can. 12, 11, 8, 6, and 11 strikeouts. First, you know, the first two, we were like, okay, it's Baltimore and Houston, so what? Decent then he struck out 80-year Tigers. Out. Right, then struck out 80-year Tigers, then did 6 against the Yankees, but then pulled an 11 against Cleveland uh, on Saturday. And really, it's about the splitter. And we've talked about him. I know I've written about it in the past. For him, as long as he's finishing off that pitch and it looks like a fastball out of the hand and he's throwing it in the bottom level of the zone, it's leaving the zone. And when he struggles is when that pitch doesn't make it out of the zone. And he did it. He did it last year. He was doing it earlier this year. And I believe in the swing and miss of that pitch. It is a really good pitch when he can throw it. But the problem was, again, it's a, I thought last year when he was doing it, it was a lack of not being able to finish that pitch off. So it just hung in there. But it's, it's like the opposite of the knuckleball. And the knuckleball, 
you know, you, you'll hear your hitting coaches tell you, see it high, let it yep. fly. Like, go swing yep. at it. If you see it low, let it go. Well, that, that's where it should, uh, you know, that's where it should be. Let it low. You should let it go, too, with that. Uh, it, with the, so I shouldn't call it the anti-knuckleball. It's, knuckleball it's the same similar. thing. Similar, yeah. If it, see it low, let it go. But these guys aren't letting it go. They can't. It must be that good. I would love to see some kind of view. I would love to see some kind of view of what that pitch looks like out of his hand. Because obviously they're not picking it up. You should be able to with the spin, <clears throat> pardon me, but obviously it's the tabletop thing. It gets to about 50 to 55 and then, feet and then ooh, shoom, gone. Yeah. And that's what, that's what, because, because when he first broke out, when Shoemaker first broke out in, in 2014, that splitter, he had another turning point. I think he even started that season a little bit off, or maybe he was in the bullpen. I, I can't fully remember, but he took off in the summer and it's when he started getting the tabletop drop on that split finger. And, and you perfectly describe it. It's at 55 and it's coming in. You're like, this is great. And shoom, all the way down, sometimes in the ground, they're flailing over it. it the, no matter what you see in replays, you're just gonna, it's going to look foolish. You're going to think the batter's an idiot. It's so different when, when you're facing it. Not that I've faced devastating sinkers or uh, splitters, but I know just because uh, talking to players who've, who've done it and, and just the, knowing baseball a little, a little bit, that that's, that's, the, that's the one that can just make you look so damn foolish when it falls off the table. I mean, he's throwing it an incredible amount. If we go back to that last start that he had, uh, you know, even the we looked at the the last start before this run started. He threw it. That's when he started playing with it. So he threw it. I'm looking at Brooks. He threw 40 splitters in that game against Anaheim and against Wait, Anaheim. Against the Dodgers, he was five minutes. LA versus LA. I'm sorry. Yeah, yes. that's when yeah, he started. I I he was that. a little okay in that game and then took off in the next five. So tell us about right. Schumacher so, in that game. So then he goes, he gives up uh, against the Dodgers, five innings, six hits, three runs, all earned, one home run, two walks, and five strikeouts. So you figure the home run was probably somebody on base. I'm blaming this and that he had to play National League rules and those stupid rules. So he was probably distracted by that dumbass Wait, hitting thing. Later? What the hell? Yeah. So then we come in, and since then, 44 splitters against the, the Orioles, 56 against the Astros, 45 against the Tigers, 40 against the Yankees, and 39 against uh, Cleveland. That That's the number of splitters that he's throwing in games. What I want to get to is I want to get him in a game against a team that takes pitches. And I know this sounds really silly, but – a team like Minnesota. Minnesota struggles, but Minnesota has a strikeout problem. But they also count. see the most. Yeah, they also see the most pitches per plate yep. appearance. I want to see how he does against a team that is willing to stand up there and say, you know what, I'm gonna take every splitter. Just you know, maybe test it out at the bottom of the line. If you're seven, eight, nine guys that aren't gonna get any get on base <laughs> anyhow, get up there and ball one, ball two, make him throw his other pitches. But I mean, again, this is the, this is me. I don't know what it looks like out of his hand, but. These are good teams. These are good lineups that are not able to square him up right now. Save the Tigers. You still did get 10 hits off him. It's but the other thing work. is no walks either. He walked his first guy in five yep. starts against Cleveland the other day. I think it was a four-pitch walk to Carlos Santana. There are worse crimes than walking Car- Carlos Santana. But so he's not hurting himself there either, and he did give up the, the four home the four runs against the Yankees because two of which are home runs. I did not get to see that start, but this this run right now is really impressive. But I want to see him get up against a team that just starts taking pitches and says, "Fine, you know what? Throw that splitter. We're gonna wait until you throw something else." Been really interesting with Matt Shoemaker, and again, it's not a situation probably where you can go out and and, and buy him. It's a matter of would you pick him up, you know, in, in a. Uh, in a trade or something like that. So 
We've seen him be, be really successful before. So They left him in too long in that game, too. I remember the, the second home run came late in that game. Um, you know, it wasn't a matter of it wasn't a matter of him having too many pitches in that game. If I recall correctly, it was the home run by McCann. There was the one by Beltron, the late one. And that's the one where I think Shoemaker was only at about 90 something pitches. But it was that that third time through the yep. lineup kind of thing. with him. Maybe in that case, it may have been his fourth time uh, through the lineup uh, with Beltron. Yeah, in fact, it was. That was his fourth time facing guys. So to me, I'm never a fan of that. Unless you're at a no-hitter, perfect game kind of thing, I'm not letting you face a, a guy like fourth a time. Super ace, maybe. To me, yeah, that, when I look at these home runs, I see that. I'm sorry, it was the um, – no, it wasn't the Beltron one. Somebody else got him. It was the Starling Castro one and then the Brian McCann. Maybe it was the McCann okay. one. Um, but looking at the, the thing, but both those happened in the eighth inning uh, or later in the game. To me, you can't let a starting pitcher like him – especially who's doing it with smoke and mirrors kind of thing. You can't let them face a lineup a fourth it, time. It's almost the, the, you know how we get mad about pitch counts being the end all be all when they're, when they're quote unquote too high and they just take them out because of that. It's oh, there's this almost works against them sometimes where he's like, Oh, he's only got 85 pitches. He has to keep not necessarily right. You don't have to necessarily keep them going just because uh, you know he has a, a a nice pitch count, and like you said, they can't, he comes in in that seventh inning and gives up uh, gives up two of the homers the, to McCann and Castro, and then in the eighth inning it was the three run uh, big fly to to Beltran that that really did damage, and he should have never made it into the eighth. once you give up two homers in the seventh inning, how does he come back out for the eighth? That's right. where they messed up on Shoemaker. All right, one one more guy, and then we'll talk about your trade here. That you pulled off. Will Harris uh, looks to have the, the the closers role at least temporarily. I believe that. Uh, I don't know if AJ Hinch has said anything else since what I saw on Friday. But on Friday, he basically said, "Pick him up on your fantasy teams and and see what happens." You know, take take your shot because it, it it's bound to work at least for a little bit. He's been he's been shutting him down. Struggled a little bit with your raise. What did you see? Is it is this a guy that you're investing in, or there's still somebody in that bullpen? Uh, other than than Will Harris that you're more interested in? Well, so the game against uh, Tampa Bay, there was a, a fielding issue. There was a, a batted ball the other way. Uh, then loaded the bases. I think one of them hit. And then he got a sack fly. And then he got a blew up Desmond Jennings bat into a game-ending double play uh, is how that particular thing worked. But I saw usage-wise... You know, Harris is the guy getting the ball because we think back to Friday night, Astros were down. Gregerson pitched in this um, Gregerson and then Giles came in and pitched in the, in the last couple of innings of that game. And Harris was nowhere to be seen. Harris then comes in and uh, it works yesterday's game and got that ugly save. But, it, you know, but it worked. He got the save. Uh, but in watching it, Giles, the frame that Giles pitched reminded me of the ending of old. The first batter he faced was Steve Pierce, and Steve Pierce waited him out as long as possible and, and hit this bounding ball single down the right field line. I mean, it's just one of these things where he got fisted and it just went, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit it down. And because, because Pierce is typically such a pull hitter, everybody was shifted over, and a first baseman normally would have been there, but he wasn't. Kind of like the single today by Longoria that drove in a runner. He hit a bounding ball up through the right side because there was nobody there because he never does that. Um, but I, other than that, Giles came in and was it, the, the wipeout slider was there. The fastball was good location, and he struck out the next three guys. And so I was like, 
okay, that's that Ken Giles that I was drafting, uh, but that we really haven't seen much of. But it's there. But if we line up the skills, if we're, if we're trying to think of something along closer lines, you know, what are some of the skills that you like to look for in a closer? Obviously, strikeouts. I don't want to see homers. Obviously, low walks, but that's you know low pole in terms of those those three. Um, I, I would like power stuff, right? It's not the you know you can't you can't you can succeed without it, but I'd like to see right. some, some power stuff. So if we if we line up the skills in the bullpen, a couple I've got a, a leaderboard that I save on Fangraphs. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, a leaderboard that I have saved. So I look at like um, strikeout rate minus walk yes. rate of the of the three of Harris, Gregerson, and Giles. Giles has the best rate at 22.5%. Harris is at 21.8 and Gregerson's at 20. So then we look at strike then we look at isolation, strikeout rate. Giles first at 30%, Harris second at 27.3, Gregerson third at 27 flat. Walk rate, Harris is best at 5.5, Gregerson is at 7 flat and Giles is 7.5. At the ground ball rate, Harris wins that. He's he's got the strong actually no, Gregerson slightly wins that. Fly ball percentage is a uh, 24.7 to Harris, 23.6 to Gregerson this year, and 36.1 to Giles. The ground ball percentage, I actually have Harris with a 67 and, and Gregerson with a 58. I, I don't know why this is coming out differently. Either way. Um, okay. So, and then uh, contact rate, and this is, what, this is one of the things I like to look at. Can the closer get the swing and miss when sure. he needs the swing Absolutely. and miss? So we look at in-zone contact rating. Harris had, is 83.8%. Gregerson's 80 flat, Giles is 80.5. So Greg, Harris has the worst ability to miss bats within the mm-hmm. zone. Swinging strike rate, Harris is at 12.7, Gregerson 19.1, Giles 17.2. So again, you need to swing and miss. Harrison's the least likely to do that. And we look at first pitch strikes, Harrison and Gregerson are both at 64.5, and, and then Giles is at 68%. So, that's... so while Harris has this job now, you look at the skills – this is what I like to do is look at the breadth of skills. If I need a swing and miss, this is what this is what got the Astros in trouble last year. They didn't have the swing and miss. I mean, they didn't trust Gregerson enough last year. He couldn't get that swing and miss against the Royals. They go out and make that trade to get Giles. Yes, he started off poorly, but you know, at least my last my last time of seeing him, he looked just like the Giles of old. Um, and you look at his skills across the board, and the skills are still lining up with the three of them. Why he's being treated third in line, I don't That's know. That's really interesting because. Um... When you briefly mentioned it before we went on air, you know, saying, "Oh, I don't know about Harris," uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. And I was like, "Nah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna swat this down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely uh, pump up Harris there." I don't know. I, I can't really disagree with you. It's not that Harris is bad. It's not because he is very good. It's that Giles' skills are actually still better. I think, I think you're right there. That 30% strikeout rate is devastating. 17% swinging strike rate is fantastic. And, you know, you can really you can really blow through guys when you're when you're doing that. The problem is the home run's been an issue. However, he uh, he allowed all of his homers in April. He hasn't allowed uh, Ken Giles hasn't allowed a homer since April 29th. And if he's keeping the ball in the yard, that was the only thing that was really. And but it's such a devastating thing that that that's enough to kind of kind of smoke you. And, so, and right. so that was the only thing that was really missing in his game was he couldn't keep the ball in the yard. Everything else has been fantastic for Giles since the start of May. And in the last over the last month, basically since uh, May 9th, over the last month, 14.1 innings, 15 hits, four earned runs, zero homers, four walks, 20 strikeouts. That's huge. 
So he's turning he's turning it around. You still would like to see fewer hits and innings pitched, um, but it seems like he has. I'm looking at his last run, and I don't see. I haven't seen a clean outing since May 25th. So he's either giving up a hit or a walk in each of his last six outings. But he's only been scored upon in three of those uh, three of those outings. I think I'm counting. Uh, 15 outings so he's been scored up on three of the 15 mm-hmm. so the numbers the skills are starting to crawl back up there it's a 12.6 k9 for those of you guys looking at that and a 2.5 walk rate both of those line up really well with closers um i i'm still not writing giles off believe me i would love to and, and but i can't i want the roster spot in tout but i can't give that roster spot I think up that's wise. i don't think like this one I, I, I think that's wise and if you're still speculating on saves and you missed out on harris Maybe somebody who won Harris cut Giles. That I could definitely see something like that. I would still go out. If you have a save speculation spot where you know, probably not, I'm only going to get Ks and, and hopefully some good ratios. I think Giles is a really good one right now. Can I go off script for a little a uh, little bit? Because as we're recording, I, I see a t- I, uh, somebody tweeted at us. Mike Halbany was like, hey, great show the other day. That was you and Eno. Uh, but they were hoping to hear about CeCe Sabathia. Have, I didn't we, listen to this week. You guys talked about yeah, him Yeah, we have. But uh, this is okay. another one where I'd be very interested to get your thoughts. E- Eno definitely did uh, dive in on him because it's a guy who Eno has backed. But you know he went out there and had another gem. So I, I think it, I think it does merit another another discussion. I'm trying to find. I think it was actually a while ago. That we, yeah, honestly, it hasn't been since uh, June 1st. So that's that's been a while. And uh, you weren't on that episode. He's had probably what two or three more good starts. He's been amazing. I can't even trade him to a Yankee fan. My home, my AL home league, a guy, a Yankee fan, is dying for starting pitching, and I was trying to make a deal with him. He was offering me Coco Crisp, but I'm like, no, I need somebody that I can actually stay healthy a week at a yeah. time. I've been burned too many times by that, and uh, we couldn't make it. He's like, I don't trust anybody that can throw 87. That's where he tops out at 87, and, and yet still, you know, he's still doing it. We still look at this, and he's still getting it done. We're like, this is fine. Got fun. rid of the uh, four-seamer. Well, because I mean, you can't throw a four seamer eighty seven anymore. I'm nope. sorry, unless your name is Chris Young. Um, we saw how that's working this if, year. If, yeah, unless you have super high spin rate, which apparently he's lost all. Oh, of. actually, I thought Petriello uh, uh, said that he, he's getting it back, maybe or something. I, I don't quote me on that. I thought I heard that. I don't know. I, all I know is the three of his last four starts have involved giving up four more yeah, homers. So right. that's the tough thing. But yeah, that's really the thing with Sabathia is sinker, sinker, sinker. I'm, I'm looking at pitch counts. Um, you know, he's going more the, the pitch classifications. So if you look at right now, it's showing a bunch of sliders and then his most recent start a curveball. I'm just going to call those breaking balls. Um, and then he's really, really leaning on the cutter the last couple of yep. starts. 45 cutters against Baltimore, 43 against um, your Tigers. So that's, that's kind of the picture that he is right now we're going to sink the two seamers going to run one way the cutter's going to run on, on the other and then i'm going to di- uh, ditch in some change-ups and some slow you curves know, so you know I was go ahead say one of the things that kept Dino going on him um was the strikeout to walk ratio how it was still solid like the last three years let me, let me smash it together here it's a two nine and and you know that was still pretty solid that would that would get you up on some like waiver wire lever, leaderboards and, and things like that I think this is a case where, you know, it's always case by case. That's why you can't just use one metric. We almost need him out of the zone more because the, the walks have actually spiked. And I don't think it's a yeah. bad thing. Normally you see a guy add a walk per nine. You're like, oh, God. But he added a walk per nine and traded three hits per nine. He was at 10 
over those last three years. He's at 7.3 this year. That's a trade I'm willing to make. I'll give you one extra walk for three freaking hits per nine innings. Sign me up all day. He's maintained the strikeouts. So I think this is a huge thing for, for Sabathia. He really has uh, changed in a way that I think is, is believable because if he's not going in the zone as much, particularly with that 87 trash that we were talking about, that's good. That's going to work. And this cutter has given him a little something. If you throw a cutter at 87, it's a lot different than the, just the four seamer that might have a little wiggle, but, but not much. Uh, that's all that discernible. So I think it's a great move here uh, to go ahead and, and, and buy in and in again, the it- where he matters. Right. And again, this it's not like he's doing this against chump no. change. I'm looking at his last six. I'm looking at his last six starts, Baltimore twice, Toronto twice, Detroit, and then Oakland. So those are the runs he's got. And so we're looking at 38 and five, six games, three wins, 38 innings pitched, 23 hits allowed, 13 walks, 34 strikeouts, and just one home run. I mean, that's in a 0.71 ERA. I mean, this is an amazing run, but I, I agree with you. As long as, and, and command has never really been a problem with him in the past. As long as he command, even even in the crappy month of April that he had, where he was going out there and, and allowing three earned runs every single time, as as long as the, all the work that we have from him this year, he still only allowed two home runs exactly. all year. And two, it's, 59 innings of work. So that's kind of where I think may sneak up on him a little bit. That's got, that's really tough to maintain. I don't care how much no, he's going to he's gonna give up some more homers. So that's going to cut in the ERA, but you know, he's again, he doesn't really walk except for the, the game against Baltimore where he's like, you know, I'm not giving, he walks six guys in that game. And it's like, and, and the, the first time he faced Baltimore, he walked two. So for whatever reason, it wasn't working for him there, but he only allowed two hits. And so if you're worried about your ratio, it's, you know, walks, hits, which ones you, you just give on up. It, though. But, you almost said you kind of ran over your sentence there. He's not giving in and he used to yeah. give in. CC would get buried uh, in a deep count. So, okay. I got to come in the zone, come in the zone with 87. Oh my God. No, instead don't give in, live to fight another day. It's, it's been a transformation that I think has has some viability to it. I think your point about the home runs to be that sharp from where where he cut. I mean, he's cut to below his his prime level, and I'm not saying that that's going to hold up. But can you give him a 360 ERA the rest of the way with a 125 WHIP? Um, that's that possible. That, what's that? It's possible. He he walked out of April with a 506 ERA. Since he's at least lowered that to 228. Wow. He's lowered it to that because he's had a 0.71 in the last six starts for CC. Six. It's, that's I mean, it's just, it's funny how, you know, how cyclical yep. things can be. And you think CC, I mean, I have him, I have him for a $1 in my, I have he and Rich Hill in my local AL league. It's, it's the one thing that's working out well for me is starting pitching, not by design. I did not target either guy. I just, I it's like, okay, I'm going to blow all this money on hitting, and then my hitting absolutely sucks. And, and my pitching that I spent $40 on is killing it. I got 39 points in pitching. You, that strategy is supposed to work when the pitching clicks because you bought the solid this, hitting. Wait, this, yeah, but you bought Rich – yeah, you buy Rich Hill and, and CeCe Zabathia because you're like, okay, at least they're going to start and get strikeouts, and I'll find something else. And meanwhile, they're two of my best pitchers. They've been great. They've really been great this year, both of them now. Um, Rich Hill went on the DL with a groin strain. That was definitely something that you had to worry about with him was was the inability to necessarily stay healthy all that much. But uh, now you nailed it on pitching. Honestly, you've been having a banner year with pitching because your tout team has good pitching. However, the hitting has not come together. You mentioned a couple guys that have clicked, but even a couple of great pick pickoffs within your your uh, 14-man roster, it, it's not always going to mean that, okay, you're, you're definitely dominating. You did have some pitching to trade, though. 
and I believe you executed a trade with Larry Schechter, who's in first place. Why don't you give us some context and lead into the deal here? Okay, so yeah, Larry is in first place um, by quite a bit. Uh, as the day started, he has 97 points. The next team is 73. Larry is a machine. Uh, yeah, even on draft, day, you could see, yeah, I wrote the book. Uh, and it, you, you could see it at draft. He kept buying guys. And I, I'm, I usually track what guys do. I'm like, wow, he got him for a dollar less. And he, just, he, didn't, he didn't get that one tremendous bargain. But he got a lot of guys at a dollar and just started piling up. And I knew coming out of the draft, he had a really strong team, and uh, and it's worked out well for him. So, um, but he is he is light on starting pitching. I, I mean, really light on starting and pitching. The hitting, when you look at this, yeah, it's it's well. He's, I mean, he's got half the Red Sox. That's the thing. He's got half the Red Sox lineup because uh, he's a Boston fan. But his uh, hitting, he's got. Uh, let's see, 30, 42, uh, 53 points in hitting. And he is starting pitching. He's middle of the pack. His ERA and WHIP are good, and strikeouts. So the pitching's a little stronger. But it's like when you look at his roster, it's kind of tough to figure out how it's yeah, happening. Yeah, ace failed and, was Keuchel. Well, because so he's got yeah, Keuchel's his ace. He's got Chris Tillman. He's got Colby. Chris Tillman's doing well for him, obviously. But I mean, Colby Lewis, um, Ari Dickey. Jake Odorizzi, who struggled. Jose Quintana, who's doing better. Um, he's had to bottle Jimenez on his roster at, at, at points. So those are the guys you're like, okay, but so he wanted a starting pitcher. And I needed offense. I mean, as, as my starting pitching goes, we, we know that I spent all that money in pitching, and I'm first in wins, I'm first in ERA, I'm second in whip, and I'm second in strikeouts. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm up to two and a half points in saves now. Um, thank you, Sam Dyson. Um, so I am, I am making some headway in saves. Um so that's that's how that's working out, and then you know the ratios were so good that I I even picked up I even picked up Jared Weaver. I, I was like, let me try this out. It did not um, work well against the Yankees. You really did play with the devil, didn't you? Play with fire. I, I totally played. I totally did. It didn't work out against them. Uh, hopefully that was that the only start he made this week, or he make another one. I think he only made one. Honestly, he's not but, too much on my radar. I just know that he's going to be good to stack against in. Uh, DFS. Well, I was just—I wanted to find some strikeouts because I'm like, okay, I'm—I'm I'm gonna make a trade for a pitcher. So I tried it. I tried this week. I was trying to trade Chris Sale, and tried to work out a deal with Steve Moyer um, to to work around Josh Donaldson, and we and we couldn't come to an agreement. And it didn't help that Chris Sale had that bad start early in the week that that kind of poo pooed the deal. He's like, ah, I, I can't do it. I'm like, okay. So then Larry reached out to me, and I mean, quite honestly, I don't think Larry and I have ever done a deal because typically we're too far mm -hmm. apart in our evaluations of things, and you know, to each their own, and I'm fine with that. But in this case, it was kind of clear he wanted starting pitching, and I desperately needed offensive help. I mean, I am 11th in the league in runs, I am uh, tied for 10th in steals, and I am dead last in OBP, and so I need help. And part of that reason is, you know, the OBP that I had projected for Mark Teixeira is sitting on my injured reserve list. The OBP that I had projected for Delano DeShield is sitting in AAA. And uh, so those types of things are, are playing against me. The OBP that I thought Corey Dickerson would do is still sitting in Coors Field, apparently. So I am, <laughs> I'm hurting there, and so I needed to do some things. So I looked at his roster. I said, okay, I need runs, OBP, and steals. And my eyes were instantly drawn to two guys, both Yankees, Ellsbury and Gardner. So I'm looking at this, and we've talked a lot about both players. And you know I prefer Gardner overall, but then we've also talked about how Gardner every single we've year breaks down to the second too, half of the, the season. Yeah, and we've experienced it too. So when I'm looking at this, I said, okay, these guys make sense for me. Larry, you know, Larry's Thompson League and Steals, so I, I know I can get one of these guys because he's, you know, Thompson Steals, he's second in OBP, and he's his third in run. So I can get one of these guys. And his deed, I looked at it more, and right now Gardner's out producing Ellsbury. But I know 
I know five of the last six years, Gardner has suffered in the second half and does not hold up. And I need somebody, you know, Ellsbury's going to hit first in the lineup. He's going to run. He gets on base. It's going to help me there. Now I'm going to lose the pitching numbers from Salazar, who's been good. But we look at Salazar's numbers and how long do we expect him to hold up a 223 batting average on balls in play? I think he's trading 85% of his base runners. You know, a lot, you could look at his numbers and say, okay, some of that's going to come down here. Um, and you can look at Ellsbury and some of that may come down too, but I can afford to lose that in pitching, but I cannot keep going like this. The only way if I'm trying to, I, honestly, I think we're all playing for second place. It's going to be really tough for Larry to lose this kind of lead. Um, but what I'm, I'm trying to do two things, play for second place and stay above the 60 point threshold, because if you finish below you 60 lose. points in tout, you start losing your fab money for the mm-hmm. next year. So I'm looking at this and say, okay, what can I do any better in pitching? Well, no, not really. I mean, I've already maxed out just about everything, and any growth I'm going to have is in saves, and some of the leads I have in pitching are pretty strong, too. So if I look at wins, I'm I'm first in wins in 39, and third place is 34 wins. I look at ERA, I'm at 357. Third place is 390. It's going to take a lot of bad pitching to get below that. Um, my whip's at 124, uh, 1238, and then Larry's at 1247. Then there's 1262. Uh, and strikeouts, I'm one behind Chris, who, uh, Liss, who just got Bilake Snell added to his roster. Uh, that's obviously going to help him there. It's going to be tough for me to catch him there, but I don't see where I can lose. I could lose maybe one or two spots in strikeouts because Larry's going to end up jumping me in strikeouts now. So I'm looking to say, okay, but I can't keep going like this and pitching. There's nothing unless I were to, because I thought about it, like, wait a second, let me just tank hitting and let me trade some hitting assets to really like trade for a closer, trade a bat for a closer. And let's max out that pitching. Okay. That gets me 10 points. That gets me 20. You know, I'm, I'm now 20 points out of first place. Great. So let's try to do something that can impact three categories versus something that's going to impact one. I like it. First off, the the breakdown of why you did the move is so important, right? Someone just sees that move on paper and they say, why did he do that? Why did he do that? But he trade Salazar. Honestly, you had Salazar for Ellsbury initially, right? And then you switched it to include the fab, which I think is a huge move because you don't care about Ray yeah, he Fuentes. Needed a, he, needed a, he has some injury issues. Like he had Chris Parmalee and he just lost him. So he needed a, another bat. And he's like, hey, throw me an outfielder. Um, so I gave him Ray Fuentes, who I just picked off off the picked up off the waiver wire last week because I wanted somebody that may steal some bases. We all know how slow my mm-hmm. team is. So I, it, I made that move. And uh, so then I was looking for somebody on his team and everybody's either like he's got Darren O'Day on the DL. He's got Glenn Perkins on the DL. He's got Parmelee on the D. He's got a bunch of guys. And I was like, you know what? I'll just take the fab. So it's a thousand dollar fab budget. So if we were to do it in a hundred dollars, I trade I have three fab dollars. It, it doesn't jump me above anyone. It just gives me an extra thirty dollars to no, play but with. Even, uh, even with the adjustment so, from one hundred to a thousand, it doesn't play the same way. It, it, the, the thousand does play differently, even though it shouldn't. It 100% right. does for whatever. Well, it plays differently in this because we lost, we dropped the victory rule. In the past, we had the $100 plus victory. So if, if I bid 59 on Jacoby Ellsbury and you bid six, I get him at $7. Exactly. We got rid of that this year. So like when I put 27 on Austin Romine because I was tired of carrying bad catchers, um, I paid $27 for Austin Romine, even though nobody <laughs> else bid. Yeah, that's That's how it is. Well, I, I like it. I, I like that you're going out making moves. You're looking at how the puzzle is coming together, and you're seeing that status quo isn't going to do it, right? And it's c- cool to finish second, I guess, but it's not memorable. And if you want to have a shot, you needed to make a big move. And I think this qualifies as a big move. You're probably still going to need to make more moves, but at least 
as it stands right now, you've tried to make a move to to position yourself. Maybe you get super lucky and another uh, closer falls into your lap at some point. Could be Giles. And then you're you you could storm a few more saves points if, if the things broke right. Maybe maybe Giles and you pick another one off. So that's probably down the road. But your offense is really where you can maneuver. And, you know, Ellsbury's health is really the, the major question, right? But his skills when he plays have been exceptional for quite a while now. Yeah, so we'll see where it goes. Um, the Jared Weaver, at least I can put him on the bench. He's got two starts this week. I need to see who he's pitching against to see if it's worth it. I knew the Yankee one's going to be risky. Also, he's facing the Twins, and he's and got Oakland. Oakland. Yeah. I'm going to leave Man him in. I'm leaving him in. If you're ever going to use Jared Weaver, this would be the week. I'm leaving him in. I do not recommend it, but if you're ever going to use him, this is definitely the week. Quick question. Springing this one on you before we get out of here because I don't know. I don't know anything about him, so you might not either. Do you know anything about Carlos Estevez? Nope. Yeah, me neither. He, is he Emilio's uh, son? I don't. I don't. Isn't um, isn't that Charlie Sheen's actual name? I think it is. Uh, it's Martin Sheen's actual name. Oh, Martin Sheen's is. Well, either way, Carlos Estevez. He's now closing temporarily for Jake McGee in Colorado. Not that I'm ever running out to get the Colorado closer, but sometimes you need saves in your NL only guys. Shut up. <laughs> All right, Jason. We're gonna wrap it up there. Um, we'll come back next week's a TBD situation. I will actually no, it's a flat. No, because I will be in New York and it's one of these wraparound trips, uh, so to speak, because we're actually doing stuff on Sunday. So I won't be back until Monday. So maybe you and I can, can figure something out Monday, but otherwise. Yeah. Monday would actually be really okay, good. Well then you and I will talk. So we can do something Monday. Pencil that in folks. Do not ink it in, please. You know what? And I will be back on Wednesday. Friday's also up in the air. So Friday and Sunday of this week are a little bit up in the air, but we'll try to work something. Jason, I hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you later. All right, you too, man.